I started doing a lot of self-harm. Um, I started cutting myself just for the release of pain. Like it wasn't, it wasn't deep cuts. It was just more of just to maybe hopefully feel better. Um, that would help. Um, I would start going through my parents' medicine cabinet and taking their pills because I didn't want them to see my scars. Um, and then there were, there were times where I was driving and I would just like let go of the wheel and just, just, I'm done. <laughs> like I can't deal with it anymore. Hey guys, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today I'm here with Michelle McManus, the founder of Baby Be Brave, this incredible, incredible community focused on helping adoptees and families who have adopted to create a safe community. So can you please tell me a little bit more about Baby Be Brave and the amazing amazing IGTV series you created, Brave Souls? Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. So uh, Baby Be Brave was, um, I found out about last July. Um, I was at a really low point of my life. Um, I suffered with depression and anxiety. And um, I just kind of felt very hopeless last year that I was laying there and I just realized, you know, I said, I know there's, I'm not the only one out there that feels this, you know, this down and just feels alone. Um, So I created Baby Be Brave to basically just provide inspiration to others and to let everyone know like that I'm, I'm here for them, that they're not alone. They don't have to struggle alone. Um, and it was, I mean, I loved it. And I just, you know, I never imagined that it would turn into um, my purpose actually, which I struggled also with, you know, what, what am I here for? So um, I'm, I met a lot of people through the adoption community and hearing all these stories, cause I'm adopted. Um, it just made me feel less alone. And that other people out there were feeling the same way I do, other adoptees, and been through the same kind of trauma along with that. Um, and then just, you know, you meet one person, you meet like 20 more. And, I, you know, for November was National Adoption Awareness Month. So I decided to um, do lives for the month and just bring awareness to adoption and just let people know that adoption isn't always beautiful. There's a lot, a lot of trauma behind it. And... Um, you know, I, I had so many people come on and I loved it that at the end of the month, I was like, why should I stop? So I just, I should always bring awareness. So I just kept going. I was going to make uh, Brave Souls, which is my IGTV live series, a podcast. Um, I was, you know, trying to set that all up. And then I realized, you know, I love the lives just face to face because it's more personal. And I love it because other people in, within the adoption community um, join in and they also comment. And they feel included in part of the conversation. And that's what I love, too. So I decided to take the podcast off the table and stick with the live series. I absolutely. Oh, I haven't breathed that whole <laughs> I absolutely love that so much. I think when it comes to adoption specifically, there's not really a lot of education on it. And you grow up in schools and every once in a while you might meet a kid who was adopted, but a lot of times they're picked on, made fun of. There's a lot of stigma around it. And you don't know how to provide support to people who are adopted. You don't realize that a lot of times they feel alone. So many of us feel alone for so many reasons, but imagine being kind of ostracized by your peers and told, well, your real parents didn't want you. And for you to create this community to let them know they're not alone. 
you are not alone is so, so powerful and so, so important. Thank you. Of course, you are absolutely incredible. So can you tell me a little bit about your adoption story? Sure. Um, So I was adopted in Romania in Eastern Europe. Um, I was born in 1988. Um, My birth mother um, unfortunately was was raped and she got pregnant with me. Um, And just, I guess, there's a lot of reasons why she probably didn't, you know, want to keep me due to a lot, you know, Romania was was a very poor country. Um, She and her, her mother, my grandmother had a very bad relationship after she got pregnant and they stopped talking. She got kicked out of the house and had to live with different people. And I guess just the, you know, she didn't want to me to be that constant reminder of what happened to her. So I was put into an orphanage when I was a baby. I'm not sure exactly how old I was. Maybe I don't know if it was right after I was born. I'm still trying to find that out. I'm in a search right now. Or if it was a few months, I'm not sure. But um, I was in the orphanage for about two, year, two years. And then I was adopted from um, an amazing American family. And, um, you know, I always kind of felt a little um, off. Like, I didn't know why. Like, I felt different until I was about eight years old is when um, my father told me that I was adopted. And honestly, you know, I say this a lot, but those three words, you are adopted, changes your life forever, changed mine. And it kind of started to make sense as to, like, of course, I was still young, so I didn't piece it all together. But it still sort of made sense as to why I felt so different. Um, But that was really kind of very tough for me. Um, I didn't really know how to handle, like, everything. You know, my first reaction was, you mean my mom's not my real mom. I didn't say anything about him. I didn't say anything about anybody else. It was, And then everything he said kind of went in one ear and out the other. And because I was just fixated on that one thing that she was not my mom and wondering why my mom didn't want me. So that was a lot to process as a kid. I was confused. And then the kids started finding out at school and uh, they started bullying me. And then one girl said, um, the only reason your mother left you is because she didn't love you. And I already had that in my head, but her confirm, well, I guess confirming it, you know, made it even more um, real to me. And I took that really hard. And um, I had that constant, like, why didn't she want me? Like, was there something wrong with me? Um, How could a mother leave their child? And just so many different thoughts I had. Um, I felt felt very isolated at school. I started to become very, um, I actually made myself more alone than I should have because I felt so different that I wasn't accepted and I wasn't enough. So I isolated myself. Um, And then high school years was probably my hardest. The older you get, of course, the the longer you have to deal with the trauma of your birth mother didn't want you and everything else. And I didn't have pictures of either of my birth parents growing up. So I would constantly stare at a mirror when I was younger and just wonder like, who do I look like? I would try to imagine like create images of them based on my features. And like, maybe I have um, her hair, his eyes, like something like that. Um, So I decided to, um, well, before I went searching, I started doing a lot of self-harm. I started cutting myself just for the release of pain. Like it wasn't wasn't deep cuts. It was just more of just to maybe hopefully feel better. Um, That would help. I would start going through my parents' medicine cabinet and taking their pills because I didn't want them to see my scars. Um, and then there were, there were times where I was driving and I would just like let go of the wheel and just, just I'm done. <laughs> like I can't deal with it anymore. 
Um, but I finally said enough was enough. I'm ready to go get some answers. I'm tired of feeling this way. And I went searching. So I started, so legally you have to be 18 to search for your birth family, especially international adoptions as well. But um, I kind of started like a smaller search, I would say around maybe 16. And I contacted the lawyer who uh, brought me over on the plane who handled my case. And he told me, um, yeah, come over. I have all your files. I have a picture of your birth mother. I have everything you need. So I brought my friend over and we went looking through all the boxes and there was nothing. My box wasn't there. So I left like devastated because I thought I was going to finally see what she looked like. I was finally going to get some answers. Um, but I didn't give up. I just, I kept going. I'm a very persistent in person. So I just, I don't like to give up on things. So um, I, about when I was 18, legally, I hired a private investigator in the United States. He searched for five years and couldn't find my, my birth family at all until I finally connected with a private investigator in Romania who found my family in three weeks. And it's funny because I sat, I used to always sit by the phone and just wait to hear for the answer. And you finally get to a point where you're like, how long can you wait? And I was almost at the point where I was about to just like put my phone away. But, you know, Cause I it literally like, I'm not even joking. I had the phone with me all the time in my hand when I was sleeping, just hope like, hope maybe I'll get a call or an email in the middle of the night, something until I finally put my phone away. And I ended up getting a call from the private investigator saying, we found your family. And I kind of, in that moment, it was like, kind of like a movie, I guess, but I was dead silent. Like I froze and he was like, are you still there? And I was like, oh yes, yes, I'm here. I'm here. I'm just in complete shock. Um, so I'm so, so, so happy. Let me know if I'm like talking too much or like You too are fast. good. Okay. Um, so I, oh gosh, I lost my train of thought. Um, okay. So I, <laughs> I started thinking like I, the, only the good possibilities, like the good outcomes when I went searching for her. I started um, getting books on Romania, teaching myself Romanian. So that way when I met her, I can talk to her and she'd be proud of me and we could have that bond. And I started learning different foods of so Romanian foods and all that and just um, get, got really connected with Romania. Um, I never had the idea that it wasn't going to go well and I should have because I went, when I went searching for her, she basically didn't want anything to do with me. And that was a, that was hard because it was like a second hand rejection. It was a second rejection all over again. But this time I actually physically went through that and had to feel that pain. Um, you know, I thought, like I said, it was going to be like that open arm. She was going to, you know, welcome me so happily, but she didn't. And um, at that time, I also found out about the rape and then I'm the product of that. I didn't know that growing up. So it kind of made sense like, okay, that's probably why she doesn't want me to do anything to do with me because I'm that reminder to her. Um, so that was, that was really hard um, that she didn't want to talk to me that I found out that my birth father was, did that. But I also, um, so I ended up, I kind of gave up a little bit on it. I buried all the books I bought. I didn't throw them out, but I buried it all on like the bottom of my ottoman. And just didn't want anything to do with it. So um, I ended up getting a letter from my grandfather, her father, wanting to talk to me. And I was just like, I looked at the letter. I was like, I went in tears. because I was like, oh my gosh, somebody wants, wants me from, from that family. And him and I, he was my pen pal. 
and we wrote for about a year and with Romania like a year might seem like a lot of letters but it's not because overseas it could take three to four weeks to even get there and he had to walk to a different town to go get the letter then he had to get it translated for both ends so it takes a lot longer so it was probably about maybe three letters we got each a year but it was still really amazing but I'll stop for a second so you can talk that is absolutely amazing I love how your grandfather reached out and you had that connection but back to what you were saying about when you first found out you were adopted mental health wise you can tell that it really really affected you yes what was that like you said you felt alone you felt really depressed with the self-harm and the pills can you tell me more about what that was like and how you've been able to overcome that yeah so um so I guess when you're young you don't really know what depression is you just kind of feel sad and just know that you're not okay um and it just like every you know as like I said the older I got the harder it got um there are times where I was just like I would not want to be around people or um I would just cry for no reason or I mean it was a reason for it but I would just I don't know I just start crying or thinking about it and um like I said, like, you finally get to a point where you're so tired of dealing with that pain. Like, you know, and it's so sad. Like, there's some people that it breaks my heart that they give up on themselves. And I almost did. And, you know, with adoptees, um, adoptees who are people who are adopted are four times more likely to uh, attempt suicide. And a lot of those times is because a lot of reasons because the trauma is just so tough for them to deal with. Um, and they just sometimes they don't feel seen or they don't feel heard that their story doesn't matter or their adoptive family doesn't provide them the space to ask questions or talk about it or keep it a secret from them or don't allow them to feel the way they want because either they the family's not emotional uh, people to deal with it or um or they just don't oh gosh I forgot what I was going to say um they don't, man, that just went right out of my head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or they take it personally. So when like, um, I wanted to go search for my birth mother, I asked my mom, my adoptive mom before I did that. Um, you know, I said, I want to search for my birth mother. I said, but if this is going to something that's going to make you sad or hurt you, I won't do it because I didn't want her to feel, um, like I was leaving her, like she wasn't good enough for me. Um, but thankfully she said yes. And she supported me through that. Um, but I also wasn't given that space to talk about it. Um, and it wasn't intentional. It was, it was just, you know, a lot of adoptive families think that, okay, we bring a child home. That's our child. That's it. Then we tell them they're adopted and then our job is done. They don't realize hearing those words, it's just, it's very hard for a child. And I, you know, I personally wish, and I suggest all adopted parents do this for their children is adopted children is as soon as you tell them that they're adopted, whether it's from day one, you know, from the beginning, some parents do, or at a certain age, put them in therapy immediately. Because, you know, there are some adoptees I met that, um, that are okay with it that it hasn't really personally like affect them, affected them as much as others have. 
but put them in therapy let with an adoption therapist that specializes in that field with trauma and everything um and that's something I wish I would have had because I had to deal with all that myself and that's what caused a lot of my depression and all and I used to think like why am I depressed like you know I used to just think it was depression but I didn't ever link it to it was adoption depression like because of that and um yeah so me honestly I haven't overcome it yet but I'm I'm in the process of, of healing and you know they call it the adoptee fog which is right before you go into your healing process your healing journey and I guess for me the adoptee fog was just constantly thinking I, I didn't find I didn't have any acceptance I didn't have any self-love I was in complete denial and I didn't want to I buried my feelings in and I suffered in silence a lot so I would put that you know that's commercial with like the smiley face that you hold up that was me I could break down in the car or be emotionally so sad but as soon as I enter a room with my family or friends I would put this the happy face up and just be such a good actress at it that none of my family really knew what was going on um but yeah right now I'm in that healing journey and it is it's still emotional and I still have my days that I'm not okay but um but I have a lot more mental clarity now you and are I, you are absolutely incredible and to take something that was so traumatic for you that really devastated you hurt you put you into a depression that could have taken your life you use that to help others know that they're not alone that is the most incredible incredible thing another human can do you are just absolutely amazing thank you thank you um Oh, so there was actually one little part I, I do want to bring in, which also kind of relates to my adoption and part of my, um, what I, I struggle with is, so at 21, I found out I was, um, I was, a, a, no, what was it? No, 20, I'm sorry, 21. Uh, so I was coming home from college and um, I took a later train because I had to stay for a project uh, to work on an assignment. And um, I ended up getting sexually assaulted on the subway. Um. I just kind of, it happened so fast because of course train rides aren't like really fast the way rides, but it just happened really fast, but it felt like forever. Um, he ended up like pinning me down and just like, you know, touching me. I Fortunately, I wasn't raped, but I was very close to it. And I kind of almost like, I didn't really scream. I didn't fight hard enough. Um, he also had my, like his hand on my chest pinned it down on this across the seat so I really couldn't move physically um but I was able to get the strength to get him off and throw him onto the floor and then I bolted out of there and about I would have like all these nightmares that just happening over and over again I was reliving it so the nightmares finally um finally started going away and then when I went searching for my birth mom and I found out um what happened to her and I ended up getting a picture of my birth father. The nightmare started coming back. And in the whole, I would relive the whole thing, except this time it wasn't a guy on the subway. It was my birth father doing it to me. Wow. So it was, um, so like I said, I, it was a lot of, a lot of pain. <laughs> I, I had to deal with through it, but, and the problem is I never, still never got help. I still never got therapy for it. Again, I just kind of suffered in silence and I didn't tell anyone. I didn't report it. I buried it inside for 12 years and I actually decided to finally share it 
um, with a friend of mine, um, Candle in a Dark Room, Desi Garcia, she, um, she helped me share my story. And there were other girls along in our uh, Badass Do Gooder community that also inspired me to speak out. And it was one of Desi's podcasts that made me want to share. And it was really tough. Um, but this year, I ended up really sharing everything about my adoption. Um, everything, like even the vulnerable parts. Um, I shared my assault. I talked about it. So I was dealing with two traumas in one year. And it was a lot. But I'm glad I did it because I'm finally, I'm finally able to feel more peace inside. And I'm not holding it in as much. Um, but yeah, some days are tough that I have to work through it. But like I said, it's definitely the best thing I did for myself is to share my story, to talk about my trauma and, you know, to turn, and that's what I'm trying to do is to turn my, my pain into purpose and help other um, adoptees, other survivors to speak out, you know, don't suffer alone. Don't hide anything like your story matters. And I always say there's one person out there who needs to hear your story. And sometimes I feel like I talk so much and I share my story so much that it's like, okay, it's just my story. But when, but then I get a message from someone that said they listened to my story and it made them want to share theirs. And it brings me like such tears and joy because I don't realize how much, like I said, your story has an impact on somebody else. Yeah, and um, yes. yeah, and I just, um, I'm overjoyed by just like how much progress I've been making and how much I've been really helping others through the process as long as help as well as helping myself so yeah so I'm still on my healing journey and honestly I think I'm going to be my healing journey forever and that's okay it is okay and I think a lot of people think that their healing journey is going to be real quick that they're just going to one day let go and everything's going to be fine and it really is a journey and it can be a lifetime. And the strength that you've shown so far is absolutely incredible. And I love that turning your pain into purpose. That's just absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Of course. Do you have any advice that you could give to adoptees who are, they just found out they're adopted. They're starting to struggle with their mental health. What advice can you give to them? Um, I think my m- number one advice is support go get help and go talk to someone because up until last year I didn't even know a community existed for adoptees and that changed my life too by hearing all of their stories and knowing that you can resonate with each other and you know share your vulnerability to them and they just understand like you know you tell someone else who outside of that community what you go through and they can sympathize with you, but they won't completely understand. But you tell someone who's been through the same kind of trauma, um, they just, without even going into detail, they just know. And so I say, go get support. It's, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. It's not a weakness. It actually takes a lot of strength to ask for help. And that's what I used to think I was weak for asking for help or wanting people to help me because like, that means like why I can't handle this myself. So, but you don't handle it yourself because <laughs> obviously I did not handle it very well I did, at all. Um, but ask for help, talk to people um, and just, you know, learn that you are so loved. You are you, like, just by you existing, 
you matter. And everyone is here for a purpose. And, you know, there are times where we don't know what that is, or we haven't discovered it yet. I mean, at 32, I, I just discovered my purpose in life. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad that happened that way in a way. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm glad everything, not glad, but everything that's happened to me, it had a, a reason behind it. And I'm not saying if I can go back in time, I don't know if I would change anything. You would think I want to, but if I didn't go through what I've been through, I don't know who I would be right now as a person and how strong I would be, or, you know, I could be just, you know, doing a different job where I would just unhappy the rest of my life, or I would be with uh, an ex fiance who I would just be miserable with just because I settled and I didn't have love for myself and I didn't think I was good enough and I didn't deserve happiness, but everyone deserves happiness. Everyone deserves to be loved, to feel loved. And everyone knows that you are enough. Like, be kind to yourself. Like people, I just recently put a post, like the advice you give others, you have to practice what you preach and the advice you would give to a friend or someone else that you care about, take that advice for yourself. And I know it's hard because we are our own worst critic and we are harder on ourselves because we put ourselves to a higher standard to be perfect, but no one's perfect. And we all, we all struggle. We all have our struggles, but um, you know, Write like little love notes to yourself, get sticky notes, post-its, put it on your mirror, put on your bathroom mirror, just something kind to yourself that you wake up every morning and you can read those notes and just, you can start to believe it and know how much you are loved and you're enough and all, um, you know, journal. I used to be horrible at journal. I never journaled because I used to be like, what do I need to write this stuff down for? But now I, I, I write letters. I actually write letters to my birth family. Let them know how I really feel. Even if it's not going to be received by them, I still write the letters. Write write letters to everyone who hurt you and put it in a box because it's a way of releasing it. Take time for yourself. Go do stuff that are, you know, that's good for your soul. Like go to the beach. Go take time to yourself. It's not selfish. Have boundaries. Don't always be a people pleaser. And I'm giving all this advice because this is something I used to be. And I'm learning to set boundaries for people. I'm learning to not please, I can't please everyone, but I have to please me in the end. I have to be kind to myself. And I have to love me um, because, you know, it sounds cliche, but if you can't love, truly love yourself, how can you really give that love to someone else? Exactly. So that would be my advice. Just don't, don't suffer alone. There's so many people out there. Reach out for help. That is absolutely incredible advice. And if you could give advice to an adoptee's family on how to have that conversation, what advice would you give? Um, I would make sure that that family, I was told in a car ride, we parked the car and I was just told there and that was it. I would say, you know, talk, sit down in a very like um, a safe space, like like in their room or in the house where they feel most safe. Um, have both parents there. My, my adopted mother wasn't there in the car and I was, that really made me sad that she wasn't there. And I never told her that. Um, but have both parents there. If they're both around, of course, have both of them there. Give them a safe space. Let them know ahead of time, like even though you were adopted, like you are so loved. Remind them how much you are needed in this world. And that that doesn't change, that's, that shouldn't change who you are as a person because of this. And remind them, like, you know, that 
yes, you don't ever say you aren't wanted. You try use your words wisely, you know, um, be gentle with your child, like let them know, like, um, that, you know, they just unfortunately, um, couldn't keep you or there were circumstances that weren't able to, um, you weren't able to be with them, but we are so happy you were with us and we love you. Like, like give them affirmation. Um, and then provide, let them provide them with space to ask questions and don't take it personally because it's not about you. It's about the child because it's going to change the rest of their life and how they hear it and how they, and how that conversation goes will actually change, have a huge impact on how they deal with it. Um, you know, if they want to ask a question or if they want to go searching, give them support. Don't think that because they want to go searching that they're going to leave you. No, they just need, we need answers. It's, you know, we need to learn our identity and where we're from and who we are. Um, and, you know, try to get as, my thing for especially international adoptions, because it's harder, try to get as much information as you can from the very beginning. Find out what hospital you're from. Find out names of their family members. Like, find out, you know, if there's any medical history, orphanage's name, just whatever information you can. So when they have these questions, you can provide them some guidance to go searching. That is absolutely amazing advice. And what you are doing is going to save so many lives and help so many people know that they're not alone. And just thank you for all that you're doing. Oh, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for having me.